Welcome to the Kelly Cotrera Show podcast. I am the producer of the Kelly Cotrera Show, Chris Creston. Kelly was off today, but we had Peter Sherman guest hosting. Peter spoke to an autism advocate about the aftermath and lingering issues left over after the Alec Manassian verdict. But first, Peter started the show off giving some of his thoughts on the current state of lockdowns in the GTA. I'm actually pleased to have an opportunity to get a few things on record that have been sticking in my craw uh, in what is arguably one of the most locked down territories in the world on March 4th, 2021, Ontario. Over a year into the pandemic, and I, like you, am sick and tired of the restrictions, and I, like you, or most of you, want this nonsense relaxed just as it has been in so many countries and many jurisdictions. I'm tired of either hearing or telling you about vaccines and General Hillier and 34 health regions in Ontario, and I'm tired of hearing about Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca and whether what we're getting from AstraZeneca is a soon-to-expire batch. I'm I'm just tired. And do you know what I'm most tired of? The inspirational preachings of Dr. Eileen Davila and to a lesser extent of Dr. Lawrence Lowe. These are the chief medical officers of health for Toronto and Peel Region, respectfully, and no, I will not try to tell you that I know more than they do. I respect their medical expertise, but I will tell you that they are simply cogs in a large wheel, not our bosses. And the sooner the political authorities in our area stop believing absolutely everything they say, the sooner we can become whole again, instead of falling further into the abyss. We're in a stay-at-home situation, unless and until the Ministry of Health, supported by Cabinet and the Premier, say we're not. Now, we could be in a position to go back to the color-coded zone system next week, probably are. I'll get into the specifics of what these zones are in a moment. We, we could stay in lockdown, or we could move into gray, or perhaps red, after more than 100 days of lockdown that began with around 3,000 cases per day at the peak, give or take, and is now in the less than 1,000 range province-wide. Our hospitals are busy. They're not full. Our ICUs are busy. They're not full. And we have the ability to provide assisted breathing to more people if, God forbid, we had to. So I say stop. Just just stop. When I was in business or, or at the CEO level, both of which I have been, I had a variety of internal and external experts to call on. And each of them contributed factual data to me. And once I'd gathered what I needed informationally, I could make a decision. It was not always everything my lawyer told me to do. It wasn't always everything my accountant told me to do uh, or what my marketing director told me to do. But it was what I believed was the right thing to do. And I believe John Tory and Bonnie Crombie and Patrick Brown and, yes, even Doug Ford are missing that aspect. And I'm not accusing any of them of anything except maybe forgetting that. While important, uh, these medical people are not the bosses. And they don't have the ability to consider absolutely everything. That's the job of the chief executives. And I've just named them. Now, we keep being frightened intentionally by the likes of this Davila woman. She looks and sounds like a person who thinks her knowledge makes her superior. I, I'm sorry. It's just the way she comes across. And I don't know if that's the case, but uh, by God, it's the way she does come across. And and I'm not a kindergarten kid. I'm an adult. So address me like one, please. Don't condescend to explain yourself to me. Ask for my undivided attention. And please don't preach. And if your last name is Tory or Crombie or Brown or Elliot or Ford, listen carefully to what's being said, and then look at the broader perspective of what your responsibilities cover. Nobody is doing any of that, or or at least not very well. Sorry, not very well. Instead, Davila and Lowe speak of variants, as does their federal counterpart, Dr. Teresa Tam. Now, not two weeks ago, 
That woman was showing us vertical lines, thrusting upward graphs that suggested we'd be in an unchecked rising toll of poor souls getting some variant of COVID-19 by mid-March. Well, it's the 4th. So you've got two weeks and cases appear to be moderating or even falling on substantial testing levels yesterday. We'll see what happens in about an hour for today. Yes, we are still sustaining deaths from COVID. I don't underestimate that. Uh, and I agree that one is too many, but we have numbers now in the teens daily instead of uh, the tens. I do not in any way belittle any of those lives. They're all important, but there are many more people who have been suffering slow and unheralded deaths because you've not allowed them any latitude to save their businesses if they even could. Let's deal with variants. This virus called SARS-CoV-2 or SARS-CoV-2 is a nasty business. But like colds and flu, it's a coronavirus. They're tricky. For example, if you go for a flu shot every year, you do so because every year flu, itself a coronavirus, has mutated into a slightly different bug and it needs to be addressed differently. Differently means a new injection every year. So now that 12 to 18 months of COVID-19 has gone by, now that we see growth in the so-called variants and an attendant drop-off in the numbers of the original virus, doesn't it make sense to you anyway, to me it does, that this is the same kind of change in the COVID virus that forces reformulation of your flu shot every year? And if that's true, viruses mutate. That's what they do. Isn't it equally likely that there will always be new variants and that we will have to address new variants differently and constantly as the future unfolds? So what are we going to do? Should we let time stand still? Should we not do business? Should we print monopoly money on an ongoing basis? And, and change uh, socially, uh, essentially, to husband people, asocial beings, who cower in fear every time a bureaucratic doctor gets on media and tries to scare the stuffing out of us. And are we then going to allow the leaders to whom they report uh, simply to keep us from going about our lives? My position is no, we're not. It's, it's enough already. I don't want to hear one more lecture from Davila or her Tory echo chamber telling me what I can't do. There are plenty of precedents around the globe where they're fine with minimal restrictions. Keep the masks, keep the plastic separators, keep occupancy rates of commercial businesses low for now. Use hand sanitizer, wash up a lot. It works. But get used to COVID. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's sharing our space, and we're going to have to live with it, maybe forever. That toad in Ottawa made a mess of vaccinations, but now we're seeing some of that liquid gold making it through. Just let's get it into people's arms as quickly as we can. We laughed as our southern neighbors left things wide open at the worst time, and they're now down over 500,000 people, but they're also vaccinating like crazy. And President Biden says by the end of May, they're going to have everybody who wants a vaccine with a vaccine. We talk of getting businesses and the economy moving, but many businesses are not coming back. We need a break and fear is no longer our motivator. In Toronto, Dr. Davila says, go to Gray. Same for Dr. Lowe and Peel. Gray now means very limited opening and a lifting of the stay-at-home order. So you can go out and you can go to the retail shops with very limited occupancy. I believe it's 25% because uh, they can open if we go to Gray on Tuesday, which I think we will. Gyms can't open. Salons can't open. Manny Petty places can't open. Restaurants can't open. Bars can't open. Uh, and your house remains off limits to anybody but your live-in family. Last week, Mayor Bonnie Crombie in Mississauga was talking about a red zone reopening, which would open some of these services. Then she became a little nervous as a few more cases showed up in her neighborhood. 
than she'd have liked anyway. It can't be that way. I never believed the kind of uh, opening contemplated by the red category did or would cause any more of an outbreak than what we're experiencing now. And in the last 100 days, we have vaccinated the aging residents of long-term care, and we've vaccinated our frontline workers. The rest of us are all grown-ups, and we know how to take advice and take care of ourselves. Can we please agree, Dr. Davila, Dr. Lowe, that we have many adults living in their cars and homes and Loblaw stores, and, and that we'll understand, we'll understand well how to protect ourselves if we desire to cut or color our hair with great care. I'm going to stop there. Maybe some of you think I'm advocating anarchy. I'm not. But uh, maybe you think I am, and, and you want to give me a proper dressing down. Fine. Or maybe you agree with what I'm saying. The lines are open. We're going to take some calls and see what you think on this reopening business. Uh, the first one comes from Danny in North York. Hi, Danny. Mr. Sherman, Prime Minister. <laughs> Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Uh, I'll, I'll vote for you. I'll run, I'll run for you. You should go there. Get that idiot out of office, please. <laughs> you know what? Please. You're not the first person to say that. I thank you for it, but that ship has sailed. Oh, my Lord. I'm telling you, what are we to do? I don't think we're going to, I don't think 2021 is going to be worse than 2020. And Why? Why was 2021 going to be worse than 2020? I'm optimistic. Because uh, optimistic. Oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're going to be working so far. Uh, wearing our masks, people, uh, 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 you know, people are going to be too afraid to. Uh, I remember somebody was saying the other day, the one thing I miss is being able to hug somebody. Yeah, I miss even that too. And but I, the arm, vaccines in the arm, we're still going to be afraid to hug somebody. Well, I think we're going to have to work our way back to that. I think you're right. Uh, and I personally, I don't mind wearing the masks, but I'm looking forward to being a little more social. I'm looking forward to being able to say to uh, two couples to come over and have dinner at our place and make a nice dinner and pour some wine and have some scotches and enjoy ourselves and sit around a table and uh, shake hands or give a, a, a nice bro hug at the end of the meal. That That's the kind of thing that we can't do that we will do when we're all vaccinated. You know, those commercials that you're looking at that say, here's the way it's going to be. I don't know if if it's going to be the way it was, but I do think some of those things are coming back, and I'm optimistic they're coming back in 21, Danny. I hope so, but tell me one, one last thing. Isn't it interesting that I voted for Doug Ford, and yep. I will vote for Doug Ford again and again and again, but why are people that are not voted in running this running the situation. Why oh, well, that was, that was what the opening uh, comments were about by me. Yeah. That You know, I respect the fact that there's medical expertise on the part of Dr. Lowe, on the part of Dr. Davila. You have to, on the one hand. On the other hand, they are not surrogate mayors. And just saying, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am, lead me by the nose, ma'am, if you are one of those mayors, it's got to stop. They're chief executives, and they have to balance what's going on in society with everything else. And a lot of jurisdictions have done that. I won't say we with impunity, but within reasonable circumstances. I hope so. I thank you very much for the call, Danny, and I thank you for your vote for Prime Minister, but it ain't going to happen. Let's hope that we uh, we get a good one next time around. Uh, Sandra in Toronto, you're on the air. Yeah, hi, thank you. I, it's just, I just want to say it was just really refreshing driving this morning, uh, listening to you, because I'm fi finally someone saying, I know this is a bad situation in terms of this virus, but it is going to be essentially our flu. And we need to learn to live with it. Like you said, we vaccinated everybody that would be vulnerable and that would overwhelm the health care, right? 
I don't see why we can't go back to normal. I mean, the goalpost keeps changing. I mean, I thought the whole point a year ago was as long as we don't overwhelm our health care. Now it keeps changing and it's so frustrating. And you're right. People that are, are, are not voted in, they are just running the show. And it's, I'm so tired of being lectured to. We're adults. Yeah, I, I'm. It, you, this is the problem, you know. You, the, you take a person like John Tory. John Tory is a smart oh. man. I've I have worked with him. I would say on some level, we're even friends, and I think he knows how to stand up and take a microphone. But he's got to he's got to look at Davila and say, look, she's talking down to people. She's making us into kindergarten youngsters who have to do exactly what we're told to do. He's got to weigh everything that's happening in society with what Doctor Davila says. And yes, she carries weight, but not total weight. No, I agree. And that's exactly it. I wish there was a little bit of balance and I don't see it. It's either all or nothing. Like other countries are starting to get back to normal and we should not adopt this new normal. Once we have that, once we get vaccinated, there shouldn't be a reason why we shouldn't go to normal. And it's, and it's scary because she's perpetuating Davila. She is perpetuating the fear in people. And I've seen it firsthand and it's actually very sad. Sandra, Sandra, thank you. I'm going to make one more comment before I let you go. On the question of perpetuating fear, she is very afraid, as is Dr. Tam at the national level, of Mm -hmm. these variants. And this word variant has become like variant. It's a really terrible thing. A virus, it's evolving. It's it's a virus. They have variants and it keeps happening. I know. And that's so funny you mentioned that. I kept saying that to people because they're like, oh, the new variant. I'm like, people, we viruses evolve. Viruses have strange, like strain, like the flu. Every year you get a shot. It's the same thing. And now, yeah, So it may be, Sandra, that next year we have to get some kind of a booster that addresses the change in the virus yeah. that we don't even know about yet. Yeah, but who cares? That's fine. But let us get back to normal. We're adults. Let's get back to work, school, travel, ball games, whatever. There you go. Sandra, thank you, and I wish you a good spring. And, and the surprise is by uh, this time next week, you're going to be looking at 9 degrees, so spring is coming for sure. All right, Cam is in Brampton. Hi, Cam. Hey, Peter, good morning. Thank good you morning. very much for saying what you were saying. And I know you just told your first caller you don't won't consider running again. <laughs> I'd like you to have your own permanent show on the radio. Anyway, if Dr. Davila is so concerned about it, why are we not instituting 40 hospitals in Toronto to go the same way as Joseph Brandt did uh, with their field hospitals if they're so worried about the variant. Uh, 40 times 75 people, that's another 3,000 beds. Then they'll tell you, well, we don't have people to man them. Well, yes, you do. You have the armed forces, the Victorian Order of Nurses. Start at Airport Road. I live in Brampton, so start at Airport Road. Vaccinate everybody right across. Go up to Mayfield, everybody down, everybody's done. I would probably think in about three weeks. Hell, I'm just thinking, you know, maybe now that we've got uh, Trudeau and Biden in bed together, uh, we might borrow the hospital ship. I don't think uh, we Justin, need it. Justin Justin was good for one thing. He got grass legal. He's done. He's spent. He is not his father. His father, like him or, like him or hate him, when he made a decision, he made a decision, i.e. the FLQ crisis and whatever else. Uh, somebody okay. as old as me. Thank you, Cam. And and sorry, I can say one thing. Of our course. economy is coming back. Uh, my load boards, I'm in the trucking business, our, our load boards throughout the industry are coming back nicely. I just want to make sure everybody knows that right across Canada. They're coming back nicely. Now is the time to get going and institute. Let's have a new way of life in this country. 
it's not too hard to manage 38 million people, I'm sure. I would hope not. Thank you very much for the call. I appreciate it. I've got Jeff on the 407. How are you doing, Peter? Good morning. Okay, good morning. Wow. The voice of reason. Finally, after a year, um, you're, you're saying exactly what everybody is finally feeling. Look, I didn't used to say that, Jeff. I, you know, at the beginning, I was absolutely four square with uh, doing what, what the authorities were saying through Doug Ford and through John Tory because we didn't know. Now we know a bit more, and we have jurisdictions all over the world to teach us. Exactly. But finally, you're saying something, and I know you've changed your tune, and that's great. Uh, I wish Tory would wake up. You know, enough with Davila speaking like a cult leader, like we should all go home, take a pill, and slash our wrists. There's no way to live. Um, you know, she's done the worst in the world of, of reassuring us or, or direction. And it's the same broken skipping record day after day after day. And Tam, the two of them, I don't know what their agenda is, but it's time we listen to the reason of what you've just said this morning. And I thank you for that, sir. Well, Jeff, I thank you very much for the call. Um, the bottom line here is uh, I, I had a day, I guess it was uh, an epiphany day, and it was the day that Davila got on, on uh, media. And she said, uh, I am very afraid. I believe, I, I'm paraphrasing, I am more concerned today than I've ever been. And that was, what, two, three weeks ago? No more than that. And it was all about the variants. And we were supposed to be very afraid of the UK variant and very afraid of the Brazilian and South African variants. And I, and I am taking notice. I'm not dismissive. I'm saying, I, I, you know, not being from the medical profession, I don't deign to uh, make pronouncements on the medical aspects of this. But I do know a little bit about viruses from having read and done this kind of job a lot. Viruses are there. They're not going away. They're a form of life uh, on on the planet the same way we are, and we're not going away anytime soon. Uh, so we've got to learn coexistence. And coexistence means we can't be afraid every time things change. We have to be careful which means we have to open up, and we have to open up with reason. They're talking about gray. My tendency would be, I'm looking at other jurisdictions in the world, my tendency would be, let's go red, because red is not very much. It's a hop, skip, and a jump from gray, and it lets me get my hair cut, which I think is, is a need that some people have. And, I, and you may not think that Manny Petty is very important. Not, not to me, but uh, I can tell you to most of the women I know it is. And again, those guys didn't cause any spread as far as I can see in the past. Let's move on. John Paul, you're on the air. Oh, hey, how are you today? Great. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I read a very good article uh, from, the, from the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about historical pandemics. And, and uh, it just seems like... Uh, all these doctors aren't looking at, at, at the past. And so uh, and if you look at it, because I, 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 I researched all the historical pandemics for the last 4,000 years, and I calculated the average lifespan of, of, a, uh, of a coronavirus pandemic or influenza. And the average lifespan is less than two years. You mean that this is all, you think that all this is going to be gone in two years? Uh, well, if you look at the history, and there's about, you know, so over the last 4,000 years, I, I, there was about, there's been about 100 pandemics of coronavirus pandemics, and the average lifespan of society returning to normal was less than two years. Like, okay, so we don't know that. Absolute. We don't know that. Well, 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 historically speaking, we do know that. because Well, do we? Because, yeah. because flu, if you wanted to talk about flu 
in an average year, this is not an average year. We've all isolated. We've all washed our hands. There's no flu. But in an average year, we're, we're just loaded with flu. We never call it a pandemic. Those of us who are uh, a little bit older or a little bit more fearsome uh, where it comes to that, that particular thing, we don't want to get the flu. We go for a flu shot. Flu shot's different every year because the strain changes every year. What's to, yeah, what's to believe? But a pandemic is, is when the flu varies to, to such a point, like, like, like the Spanish flu was the yeah. last pandemic. Okay. And that, if you look at the numbers, lasted about 18 months. Yes. And then the deaths dramatically dropped off. And there was not a vaccine, all of a sudden, in 2019. Hey, as they say, John Paul, you know, from your mouth to God's ear, I hope this thing disappears and never comes back. And at some point, it's survival of the fittest. I mean, I mean, you, can, you just can't, you got you to look at the byproduct. The byproduct right now is, is very damaging. No kidding. 416-870-6400, the number to call. We have, uh, I hope it's uh, being pronounced right, Sin in Vaughn. Hi, no, it's Vince. Okay. Hi. Um, I, I own a hair salon in Toronto, and I employ about 30 people. So if anybody um, wants to open um, soon and quick, it would be me. But having said that, I totally understand why the government is closing my type of businesses and restaurants. Someone who works and owns a business in that type of business, I know for a fact that I've had COVID. I've had employees have COVID. I know other places, similar businesses than me, that have had COVID and their clients have had COVID. Um, It spreads like wildfire in businesses like mine. It sucks. I've been in business for 30 years. Our business is damaged, but I get it. Is it safe to open? Is it safe to open for you right now in your mind with all the COVID that you described you've had? No. No. And I say that. It's not safe to open. Well, that's interesting because you're the first caller who says that, and you have personal experience. So I'm quite interested. Why would you say not ready? Because I think it's still out there a lot. Um it travels quickly. I've had the COVID. I've had colleagues that have COVID. I know other people, my sort of business. That it's just really, really hard to control. Um, I know. I, I mean, it's hard to control, but a lot of things are hard to control. My, I'm not trying to argue with you. You own the salon. I don't. And, and you must desperately want to be in business. You said you were. But having experienced the illness yourself and ha- knowing so many people who have, and, and I've known a few people with it and, and a relative who died, so I'm not. Um, taking it unseriously, uh, I've, I've got to believe that with the appropriate masking, with the appropriate plastic screening, with the appropriate separations, with not a lot of people sitting in waiting areas, that you right. could run a successful business and you could do it with care. We, we, we removed our waiting area. We wore shields, visors. Our customers had temperature checks. They sanitized when they came in. I totally have the faith in, in the people that are making these decisions. Um, well, sucks, but I think we would have been a lot worse off had we not taken the steps that were that we've taken and are taking. So, Vince, when do you when do you think you should be able to open? What is what is the criteria for saying Vince can go to work? I hope it's very very soon. Um, I know you hope I, it's very very soon. You probably hope it was three months ago. When do you think? I, I think when. Um, People start to get inoculated a lot more, and we start oh. to see the numbers go down a lot more, and the vaccines are being rolled out a lot more aggressively. 
So if the vaccine, if we can get, I don't know, a few more million shots uh, across Ontario, maybe between now and June, that we could have a decent summer. That's what you're saying. I think that would help. And I tell you, as being an owner, um, it's been rough. But the government had some really great relief that at least lets me pay my rent to keep my doors open for when I reopen. Well, you present a very you present a very interesting counterpoint to mine, and I defer to you. I said that I, you know I don't have all the answers. You are closer to having some answers because you are an affected business owner, and it's fascinating to me that you say what you do. And you've had COVID, so thank you for calling. You've shed some new light on it. Thank you very much. All right, that's Vincent Vaughn. Interesting. Uh, I believe it's Rosa in King City. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. How Good to you? have you on. Thank you. Um, I just wanted to say that uh, if Dr. Davila wants to keep Toronto in shutdown, then the people of Toronto, she should be responsible to keep them all from going to other areas and possibly spreading COVID in York Region and in other regions, in Durham Region that Toronto residents go to. Well, but you, you know, Rosa, in in, in sincerity uh, and in... Uh, Dr. Davila's defense, she's got one job. Her job is Toronto. She recommends to council, to Mayor uh, Tory, what should happen in Toronto. And in York Region, you've got Scarpetti in Markham and you've got Bevilacqua in Vaughan, and these people carry weight on the on the uh, York Council, and they have a different idea. And no, they don't want Torontonians pouring over the border so they can get their hair done and such. But that is unfortunately what happens, and that's the nature of the beast. We are, I could make an argument that we're all Ontarians, so why don't we all have the right to go anywhere we want? On the other hand, I remember when we first had an opening, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, I think I was doing um, the morning show, and uh, we saw them open up uh, Hastings Prince Edward, what, 100 kilometers to the uh, east of us, and I had the chief medical officer of health on from there, and he said, don't come. We, if you're if you're in Toronto, don't come here. We don't want you. We'll check your credentials, and we're not going to serve you. So I mean, it's a it's a funny thing what happens how div- how divisive uh, a people become when we've got this threat. And you're saying the same thing. Davila can't do that. I, I well then maybe she should like open up and do the gray zone or or try something that will defer people from coming to other areas. Okay, well, I mean, it's it's an idea, and I think, quite frankly, Rosa, and I thank you for calling, uh, we'll be in gray by Tuesday, by all indications, because both Davila and Dr. Lowe are saying, let's go to gray for uh, Toronto, Mississauga, Peel, um, respectively, and if they're recommending gray, then that's what they'll probably do. I think it should go to red, but that's just me, and I'm an opinion of one, and I'm not a medical officer of health, but we've had a fulsome discussion. Glad that we at least had one caller who said, hey, I own a business, I've had COVID, and I don't want to open yet, but the rest of you seem to be on the same side of the uh, the ledger as I am. Yesterday, the talk was all of Alec Manassian, the uh, person now guilty of driving that truck, the uh, the, van, the so-called van attack, uh, back about, what, a year and a half ago along Young Street. And the judge who found Alec Manassian guilty of murder and attempted murder in that attack set Canadian precedent. I don't know if you know that. Set Canadian precedent uh, by considering autism a mental disorder. Autism as a mental disorder under the criminal code. And that's, that's rather interesting because... I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who are somewhere on the so-called spectrum. And the majority of people I know who are on the autistic spectrum 
are not people who, unless they tell you, are any different than uh, you or I. And and uh, e- even if they appear different, because there are some people with uh, more aggravated forms of autism, uh, that, that doesn't make them abnormal. It just makes them autistic. So this is kind of strange. And, uh, and there's a fair amount of rumbling coming from that community. Justice Ann Malloy ruled that autism spectrum disorder did not leave the uh, 28-year-old Alec Manassian not criminally responsible, or NCR, for killing 10 people and injuring 16 others. But her decision to consider that possibility means the argument could be made in future cases. And I think this is what is uh, a little bit worrisome. There are legal experts who are expressing concern about the implications of the decision, being as it relates to uh, the autistic spectrum. And while members of the autism community said it would further stigmatize those living with the condition. Now, uh, I know, as I say, people, I know people who have, for example, Asperger's. Asperger's is uh, a particular disorder that does live on the autism spectrum. But generally speaking, people who have Asperger's are, I won't quite say geniuses, but they tend towards a very high functioning, very high intelligence, and they manifest by uh, being more narrowly focused. So they have an interest or two interests and are not very good at broad conversation. But they're pretty smart people and great researchers. And, uh, and, and so to say autism is a contributory factor, which she didn't, but she opened that door, um, raises some eyebrows. So we don't know what the uh, what the sentence is going to be. People are making a lot of noises about it, and we don't know how autism is going to play into that. But we've got uh, Mike Canetti, uh, an autism self-advocate and communication specialist with Autism Ontario with us. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Mike. Peter. How are you today? <laughs> okay, we got you now. Uh, I am fine and uh, glad to have you with us. I know you've been talking to a lot of people about this of late. Does it concern you? And if so, why? Well, let's, let's start out with, uh, you know, it, it is, Autism Ontario is deeply concerned regarding the potential ramifications about this very defense of autism being used further down the line in future cases. As you say, it said in your intro, it, it, um, there's a potential there for further stigmatization of people with, with autism and their families. You know, this is this case has, you know, done a lot of damage already and we, you know, and, um, and pushed we've had to and over the years autism ontario has done a lot of good work pushing back against stigmatization um working for um acceptance and education and something like this has only you know uh, caused only caused issues and then once again we look at this as a potential problem uh, and i know that the uh, justice Malloy has said that the defense can only be used in certain narrow specifics, but she's also called it a mental illness, referred to the mental illness in, in, in use of the defense, which is also um, incorrect. Autism is not a mental illness, and this is where you would draw a lot of flack from the autism community, as you might know. It's a neurodevelopmental disorder. So to call it a mental illness is quite the misnomer. Okay, let me stop you there. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you yourself are on the autism spectrum, yes? Um, I'm indeed. I'm, I was diagnosed in my mid-50s with high-functioning autism. So that, that is, I guess, what you would call, referred to Asperger's today, yes. 
Okay, so you're the kind of guy that I described. You're a bright guy. You're very communicative. And uh, to me, I'm talking to anybody. I could talk to anybody on this on this radio station, on the telephone, and get the kind of answers I'm getting from you. You're not mentally ill. No, no. I mean, there are, let me get this straight. There are comorbid issues that are frequent with autism spectrum, uh, mental, mental, mental issues, but those aren't them of but autism in and of itself is not a mental illness. Okay, it, so you know, if we uh, let me let me just ask you this: so if autism is not a mental illness, and I had never thought that it was, um, how mm-hmm. does it play into this? Other than the fact that Mr. Manassian uh, is on the autistic uh, spectrum d- uh, disorder list, but he uh, he's fully functional. He made a decision, bad decision though it may have been, and he's guilty of his crimes as far as the court is concerned. Should the autistic aspect figure into his sentencing? It doesn't it shouldn't at all in my opinion it shouldn't at all i mean i think the the, the, the justice boy got that exactly right in my opinion um you know i mean looking at it wider i mean there are you know there are no there are no winners there, there's no uh winners with this with the verdict i mean we have to remember the people this this, this individual uh, murdered and injured but in terms of getting the sentencing right, he, she saw past uh, the junk science defense that was being raised, and I think she acted, her verdict was appropriate. Okay, let me ask you this question, and this is the devil's advocate question, so forgive me, I don't mean okay. to offend anybody. If it's true, no. as I described uh, Asperger's, where um, people with Asperger's typically manifest by having a small number of very sincere interests rather than a large number of moderate interests, and this guy was, uh, ex- uh, as, as it's been uh, testified to in court, very, very focused on the fact that he had a huge insecurity with women, that they didn't really accept him, he became a member of uh, Incel and, uh, and and all the rest of it, and this supposedly uh, caused him to do the deed that he that he did. Um, that's a, a tenuous way of tying uh, a disorder that he has that could loosely be described as uh, resulting from his autism, and that seems to be where it enters into it. Is that fair? I don't think that's fair at all, Peter. I mean, you could be not on the autism spectrum and still have problems in. in in relationships, you know? So I don't think being on the spectrum and having relationship issues are one and the same. Okay, so the idea of using this as a defense, as far as you're concerned, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. Tell me what you think. Um, Using this as a defense uh, is kind of uh, just grasping at straws because it at the is. end I of the day, agree. this is a guy who had a problem and he killed some people. Right. Um, you know, I think, you know, we have to look beyond the defense, the, uh, look beyond that. I mean, I believe the defense was grasping at straws here, in my own opinion. Um, I believe the defense rate, the defense was a junk science because there's no such thing as an autism psychosis. Um, you know, autism has never been associated with violent crime or violence at all, um, or lack of a moral compass or anything like that. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's more, as I said, it's a more of a, it's a neurodevelopment disorders characterized by social impairments 
and the difficulty of throwing the thoughts, feelings, and emotions of others. And that's it. Uh, more okay. likely, people on the autism spectrum are going to be the recipients of abuse and violent behavior. All right. So I'm going to leave it at that. And thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us. As far as uh, the conclusion is concerned, I'm going to take you uh, directly at your word as uh, an autistic person yourself and a self-advocate that autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder, got nothing to do with criminal behavior, and we're on a slippery slope here. Thanks so much, Mike. Hey, Peter, my pleasure. Thanks very much. All right, that's Mike Canetti. He is uh, an autism self-advocate. As I mentioned, he's also a communication specialist with Autism Ontario, and that's a little bit of insight into uh, what's going on with regard to the autistic community in reaction to the verdict and the uh, findings of Judge Malloy in the Alec Manassian trial. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe and listen live on the Radio Player Canada app or 640toronto.com.